We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. aged eight and six and uh, I'm a teacher which is what I was going to say and uh, I've been a teacher for a very long time and um, teaching was always something that I thought I wanted to do and uh, when I was kind of you know testing out this idea having done my degree I worked at a school as a cover teacher in fact it was Sam Simmons school when Sam was at school and uh, at the end of my year there I uh, went on a trip to the south of France with three coach loads of teenagers and uh, we were going on a PGL holiday. And for those of you that don't know what PGL is, the teenagers dub it as parents get lost. It actually stands for something else, but I don't actually know. That's the only version that I know. Um, and basically, what we do is you have a whole week where you do loads of fun things. There's campfires, you play wide games, you go climbing, you go canoeing. It's like so much fun. And uh, I was leading this uh, group of teenagers, and um, it was going quite well, actually. And uh, then we got to this point where there was a six-metre-high trapeze that we were to climb up and then throw ourselves off and uh, zip wire through the trees, which looked amazing. But as the instructor was demonstrating this to us, all the kids looked at me and said, Miss, that looks a bit scary. So I was like, that's all right, I'll go first. I can do this. I'm not that afraid of heights. And uh, so I was climbing up this pole, and um, it was very, very thin. It wasn't that wide at all. And then there was this tiny platform at the top. And in order to get onto this platform, you had to go onto your hands and knees. Now, the reason why I'm quite good at heights is because I don't look down when I'm high up. <laughs> Just look out, and then you don't really notice. But the problem is, is because I was on my hands and knees, I had to look down, and the floor was a really, really, really long way away. And uh, it was in that moment that I had a slight sense of panic and fear of, oh, clever one, Catherine, why did you choose to go first? All the kids are watching you. Anyway, I managed to gather myself together and um, I managed to launch myself off and it was great fun and I did it multiple times. The thing was, in that moment, whilst I was on my hands and knees, I'd completely forgotten that I was belted up to a harness where there is actually no way in which I was going to plummet to the floor. I'd completely forgotten. I'd allowed my fear of that situation to almost take over. And sometimes that can be what life is like when we're going through trials or when we're going through difficulty. We can get to a moment where we're going through a trial and fear can almost cripple us that we can forget that we have God's protection or that he is with us. And so this morning, I wanted to ask you this question, is have there been times where you felt like you have needed God's protection? Have there been times where you've needed God's protection and you haven't felt like he has been with you? Maybe you've been going through this uh, pandemic and you've wondered, where has God been in this situation? Or maybe you've seen loved ones become ill and you've said, God, I really need you in this situation. Maybe your finances have been all over the place, or maybe you've had days locked in your house with your family, and you're thinking, God, I really need you in this situation here. I know I've had days like that over the last 18 months. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Psalm 91, which is known as the Psalm of God's protection. And we're going to have a look at what his protection looks like. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to read through the Psalm, and then we're going to pick out six things really quickly that we can take away from this Psalm. But to save you having to listen to my voice for the entire morning, I've asked Connie to uh, read the Psalm for us. So, Connie. 
Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. He will be with me in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Fab. What an amazing uh, psalm. And uh, for many of us as Christians, it's quite a famous psalm. Often people have it on kind of like tea towels or on mugs or on fridge magnets. I uh, used to work in a Christian bookshop and Psalm 91 used to be on all the kind of trinkets and stuff that um, was sold. And it is known as a psalm of God's protection. And uh, when I first took this psalm, I was like, that's great. But who is this protection for? It's my first question that I asked when I read of this passage. And in verse 1, it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So this morning, if you are a Christian, if you are someone who has found Jesus and asked him into their lives and committed to him, there is good news because this psalm is full of promises for you and God's protection on you. And it might be this morning you're listening and you're not a Christian, but you're exploring, you know, who is Jesus? What is this Christianity about? Then this morning you picked a great morning to listen to us because actually you get to understand what Christianity is about and why we believe it's such good news as Christians. So for us this morning, if we're Christians, hopefully this talk will build you up and will encourage you. Um, The next question I wanted to ask when I looked at this psalm was, who is it then that protects us? And I love the first few uh, two verses because it names God in four different ways. And whenever God is named uh, in the Bible in different ways, I think it's always good for us to understand what those names mean. And so the first one, it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Most high is the first name given to us. And elsewhere in the Bible, Abraham declares that he is the servant of the Most High who possesses all of heaven and all of earth. That means the one who protects us is above all things. He is the one who is above all things. There is no other idol, there is nothing else in all of creation that can satisfy or that can protect us in the way of God the Most High. No fame, no money, no materialism, no house, no family, no relationships. Nothing can protect us in the way of God the Most High. He is above it all. There is no other name. The next name for God, it says, he will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And that word Almighty is the Hebrew word for Shaddai, which means he is all-powerful. He is like the lion 
He is a God that we can revere and yet we can come under the shadow of his wing and take rest. He is a God who is dangerous because he is almighty and he is all-powerful, but he's also a God that is good at the same time. And to kind of help us understand this idea of God the Almighty, I always find children's stories are really helpful. I don't know about you, but I love a children's book because they're so simple but often quite profound. And uh, one of my favourite children's books is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And there is this moment where all the children in the beaver's dam and they're there and they're trying to figure out, well, who is Aslan then? They don't know who it is. And uh, the beaver says, well, Aslan is a lion. He is the great lion. And Susan's like, oh, but I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I should feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver is like, safe? Who said anything about safe? He's a lion. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. And he's the king. I tell you, he is good. And that is the same way in which we need to think about God, the Almighty. The other name in these uh, first couple of verses is, it says, I will say of the Lord. And this word Lord, you may notice in your Bible, is all written in capital letters. And whenever Lord is written in all capital letters, it means it is referring to the name of God. So it means if we are in any doubt which God this psalmist is talking about, he is talking about Yahweh. He is talking about Israel's God. He's talking about the God who meets Moses at the burning bush and says, I am who I say I am. Or who also says, I am is with you. This is who it is that provides our protection. I am Yahweh. In case we are in any doubt, that is who it is. And then it says, my God in whom I trust. And that word for God is Elohim. And that is the same word that is used in the first sentence of the Bible when it says, in the beginning, God, or in the beginning, Elohim. God the creator, God who is sovereign over all things. That is the God who provides us protection. God who is most high above everything. The God who is almighty, someone who we can fear but yet also find rest in. God who is Yahweh, the great I am, and God who is the sovereign creator God of it all. That is who protects us. Isn't that amazing news? Before we even go into any more verses, we could just talk about that, couldn't we, for the rest of this time. Just those verses on who it is that provides us this protection. So now we know who provides us this protection. What are we protected from? And verse 3 onwards, it starts to go through a pattern of all the different things that we are protected from. And verse 3, it begins with this. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. Now, when I uh, read that, I was a bit like, well, fowler swear, that's quite an interesting word, isn't it? I need to have a look and find out what that is. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, a fowler is someone who tries to catch birds. And so when I think of this, I always think of, like, you know, men in, like, tweed jackets and their hats and their Wellington boots with their guns going out hunting. Um, But this is not what the Bible's referring to when it's talking about a fowler's snare. It's talking about the old-fashioned way in which people used to trap and capture birds. And so what they used to do is they used to put some food out and lay a trap in order that a bird would fly in, and then they would capture that bird and they would cage them into slavery to do their work for them. In fact, sometimes they would even sew the eyelids shut of the birds in order to control them and in order to keep them caged. That's what it means when it's talking to us about a fowler's snare. And um, I always think when we're looking at the Bible, we need to look at the Bible in the whole of its context and not just the passage that we're looking at. So for how this applies to us, 
Psalm 124, verse 7 says this, We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. What that's referring to is that we have escaped from the devil's trap, which likes to keep us captive into slavery of sin, and we have been saved from that if we put our trust in Jesus. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare. Surely he will save you from the devil's trap to keep you captive to slavery of sin. God has protected us from that. His ultimate protection. What good news is that for us? And the psalmist goes on to talk more about that later, so I'm going to come back to that later on. But how else are we protected? Verse 4, it says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Uh, This is amazing kind of verses, and this idea of kind of uh, wings comes from Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse 11 and 12, or 10 and 11 actually, sorry. Um, And this is in a a song that Moses has written to his people. It's just before Moses passes away. He wants to write a song in order to tell the Israelites about all the things that God has done and how he protects them and why they can continue to sing his praises. And so this is what the psalmist is quoting here. Some people believe Psalm 91 is written by Moses. Some believe it's written by David. So, you know. But anyway, Psalm 30, uh, 32 is what it is quoting. It says, In a desert land he found him in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as an apple of his eye. Like an eagle stirs up, it's that, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, then spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. So not only is God's protection for us from the fowler's snare, it's also when we are in the desert land. So this means that we can expect trials in our life. We can expect difficulty to come in our life. Do you know that this um, passage doesn't promise, and in fact nowhere in the Bible does it promise that our life will be easy and that we will not have trouble and that we will not have trials. And if anyone has told you that is what Christianity is about, they have not got that from the Bible, because that is nowhere in the Bible. But what it does tell us is that God promises to be with us and to shield us like an eagle when we do go through those trials. An eagle has a wide wing spread. It is able to shelter its young underneath its wings. It is big enough to protect its children, but it also has big eyes, and it is a very watchful bird, and is able to keep watchful eyes of the dangers that its young may face. This is how we are to see God, that he is big enough and capable enough to protect us even in trials and even in difficulty. God does not promise to save us from the trials, but he does promise to save us through the trials. And so one of the ways in which he promises to be with us is when it talks about an eagle. An eagle stirs up its nest, is what it says in Deuteronomy. What an eagle is doing when it stirs up its nest is it's making its nest uncomfortable so that its young want to get out of the nest and fly. It would be a really, really bad eagle if it just kept its nest comfortable and kept all its eagles in there, and the eagles never learnt to fly. So it makes it uncomfortable. But when it's young, are ready to fly, it will fly with them and it will catch them when he carries them aloft. He will catch them as they fly to give them the confidence and he will save them through that trial of learning how to fly. And that's the same for us. When we go through difficulty, when we go through trials, it may look like we are surrounded, but we are surrounded by him. His wings, his rampart. 
He saves us, not from the trials, but he saves us through them. And this idea of uh, wings can be seen elsewhere in the Bible. You can kind of track it through, and I'm just going to pick out a couple. And uh, one of the other ways you can uh, kind of track this idea is uh, in the book of Ruth. And uh, you have this woman. She's a widow. She's lost her husband. She's given up her homeland. She's gone into a new land. She has no food. She has no way of protecting herself as a woman in those days. And she approaches a man of noble standing, Boaz, and she asks him to spread the corner of his garment over her in a very strange uh, way, but it's quite a good story. And uh, in this moment, she is asking him to spread the wing of his protection over her in order to redeem her. And that is exactly what he does. He chooses to marry her, and therefore in doing that, he redeems her, and he offers her then protection. And all that she has lost has been restored to her. She is married. She has an inheritance. She has a son. All that she's lost in the trials of life have been restored to her. And you know what? Sometimes God does that for us. When we go through trials, we may look back now and think, do you know what? That was a really difficult time, but I've seen how God has come through. Or that thing that I lost, God has restored back to me. God can be faithful in the here and the now when we go through trials. He can come through for us and he can restore things to us in today's life. But he doesn't always doesn't always choose to. He's a sovereign God, and we don't always understand why God chooses to do what he does. But you know what? If God doesn't come through for you and restore things to you in the trials now, there is a promise that he will do one day. And in Malachi 4, verse 2, going on this idea of wings again, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healings in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the school, school, stool. Sorry. So even in this life, if we don't see God restore to us things that are lost or difficulties or trials that we've been going through, there is a promise for those of us that trust in God that there'll be a future where there'll be a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering and that we will receive his healings and that all that we have lost will be restored to us because it will be restored to us even greater than it will be in this earth, in the new heaven. So as a Christian this morning, we have so much hope We have hope that God is with us and that he protects us through his wings. That there are things that he can restore to us through testimonies and through um, that we can share with other people in this life. But also that we have a hope in a future life where there'll be no more pain and no more suffering. What amazing God that protects us. And uh, the psalmist continues in verses 5 to 8 to then give us some examples of God's protection. And uh, this kind of uh, passage of uh, Psalms is kind of in book four of Psalms, which is kind of been dubbed the kind of Exodus collection, because basically this series of Psalms looks at God's interaction with the human race and its history, so that we can then sing of God's plans. And so in these next few verses, the uh, psalmist is kind of referring to some of the plagues in Egypt. When it talks about the terror of the night and the flies by day, um, it's, you know, it's talking about some of the plagues um, that are referred to in Exodus 8, and t- 8 to 10. So when it talks about the flies by day, it's talking about the idea of the plagues of flies. It's talking about the plague of the livestock, the plague of hell, the plague of darkness. What this is telling us is that in history, God could have teleported the Israelites out of Egypt and just plonked them in the promised land. Because he's, he's almighty God. He could do that. But he didn't. He sent the plagues. He then sent them to leave, to go through the Red Sea, to go into a desert. And through all this history, we see time and time again how God has come through, through the trials. That God has saved them through those trials. 
And the last uh, verses, when it talks about a thousand may fall at your side in verse 7 and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. This bit here is referring to the plague of the firstborn and also the kind of like the Red Sea closing in on the Egyptians. And uh, the plague of the firstborn, it wasn't like a passive thing that the Israelites could just kind of sit and watch happen. They had to do something about it. They had to sacrifice a lamb and then they had to get its blood and mark it on the sides and the top of the door so the angel of death would literally pass over them. And in this here, this is showing us a foreshadow of the judgment for our sin that will come in the future. And that if we have put our trust in Jesus, then that judgment goes on to Jesus and not from us. And that we are being saved by the Passover lamb, that is Jesus. And so we can trust in God's protection. We can choose to trust in Jesus. And in this moment, it talks about 10,000 may fall at your side. It's talking about the Egyptians that fell in the Red Sea. The Egyptians that were punished by the plague of the firstborn. And that may sound quite harsh, that that kind of judgment is there. But you know what? God did send the Egyptians ten plagues in which they were able to choose to come. There will be a time coming where those who have not put their trust in him will be judged for their sin. And so this morning, that might be an opportunity where you want to put your trust in him. And I'm going to provide that opportunity at the end of my talk this morning, if you'd like to do that. When we then go on um, into verses 9 and 10, this is like a mirror in the psalmist tells us about who it is that is protecting us. And then we get verse um, 11 and 12, and verse 11 and 12 are actually quoted elsewhere in the Bible. I don't know if anyone knows where they are quoted at all, Um, but they're actually quoted by Satan. And uh, they're quoted by Satan in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 in the temptation of Jesus. And it's the last of the three temptations. And uh, Satan uh, quotes these words to him. And um, what I find fascinating is that Satan knows scripture. And what I love is the fact that he chose those two verses, verses 11 and 12, and he deliberately chooses not and he just chooses these two verses in the middle to quote to Jesus. And Jesus knows scripture and he is able to quote scripture back. And so he quotes Deuteronomy 6 verse 16, which says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knows scripture and he's able to use that to defend himself against the devil. Do you know scripture? When you're going through trials, when you're going through difficulty, when the lies are coming in, do you know scripture that you are able to defend yourself and know the truth of God's promises over your life? There are so many amazing promises in the Bible. We need to make sure that we know it so that we can stand. When we're going through trials and difficulties, we can call on God's promises. And this... uh, kind of idea of uh, Satan using uh, scripture and misquoting it is exactly what he does in Genesis 3 at the fall. He misquotes God to Adam and Eve so that they eat the fruit. And what I love is that Adam and Eve had one temptation and failed. Jesus had three and succeeded all of them. In this moment, Jesus is proving that he is the true Adam who does not fall to the devil's schemes. And then it goes on in verse 13, which Satan chooses to leave out. And it says this, You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. 
These verses here are to remind us of God's promise in Genesis 3, 15, where God will there will be a seed who will crush the head of the serpent. And uh, it says that the serpent will strike his heel. And when a snake bites, it passes all its venom, all its badness, all of it, into its victim. And that's what happened to Jesus as he was lay on that cross, as he was hung there. All of the sin, all of the negativity, all of the evil things of this world were passed on him. And he breathed out and he said, it is finished. And he died. But it didn't stop there. He rose again three days later. And in rising again, he crushed Satan. Do you know, it means that in the Bible, it talks about how we are raised with Christ when we put our trust in him. It means that we too can crush Satan's schemes. We too can use the Bible and know the promises of God in order to put the devil at bay. God's ultimate protection, if we put our trust in him, if we put our trust in Jesus' perfect life, perfect death and perfect resurrection, that no matter what the trials, there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing. And um, Romans 8, 31 to 39 says it way better than I've just said it, so I'm just going to read it. It says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Sounds a little bit familiar to our psalm, doesn't it, and all the things it's quotes. As it is written, for that your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. What good, what good news it is for us as Christians that no matter the trials, no matter the difficulty, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We have his ultimate protection, not because of what we've done, because of what Jesus has done for us. And so my last point this morning is what should our response be? What should our response be? And the psalmist kind of helps us out. And it says in verse 14, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. This is God speaking. Why don't we declare our love to him? When we're going through those trials, when it's really hard to say, why don't we say, God, I thank you that your love never fails. Thank you that your love never gives up on me. Thank you that your love never runs out on me. Thank you, God, that you love me because I can love you because you first loved me. Even when it's hard, even when it's painful, we can declare the truth of God's love on us. And we can tell him that we love him. It then goes on to say, I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Why don't we acknowledge God in our times of difficulty? God, you are a lower him, creator and sovereign God. And I don't understand all that you do, but I do know that your name is greater, that your name is almighty and that you are above all things. Why call on me and I will answer him? It's not I might answer him, it's I will answer him. He might not answer in the way we want to be 
He wants, you know, where we want him to answer us because, you know, we often go to God with a ticket with it. Lord God, I don't understand your will or your plan, but I'm calling on you to be with me and to give me your peace. God, I've gone for another miscarriage. God, I love you, and I don't understand why this has happened to me, but Lord God, I'm calling on you that you will allow me to know the truth that you love me. Whatever situation it might be, God, I'm going through this. God, I've been through this. God, I don't understand this. You can call on him, and he promises that he will answer you, even if it's in a way that we don't expect. Or another way we can come to God is say, Our Father, that's a loving term, isn't it? Our Father in heaven, acknowledging his name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven calling on him for your needs. Give me today, Lord Jesus, my daily bread and forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. Lord God, I pray that you lead me not into temptation but deliver me from the evil one. That's another way we can come to God. And so I asked at the beginning, have there been times when you've ever felt you've needed God's protection? Because I know I have. And you know what? This psalm is amazing because it's full of God's promises of how he protects us. He protects us from the foulest snare. He crushes the head of the serpent. And he promises that he will be with us like an eagle spreading its wings around us, ready to catch us when we fall. He promises that life will not be easy, but he promises that he will be with us. And um, as they get ready to kind of come up, there's kind of two responses really this morning. And it might be this morning that you're here listening in and uh, you've not put your trust in Jesus or you feel like maybe you've wandered away. You want a moment just to recommit yourself to him. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that um, this morning. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray a very simple prayer that you can pray in your heart. A, B, C. Admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough. And C, just to commit your life to follow him again. And so I'm just going to uh, say that prayer. So what I'd like is if everyone just minds just shutting their eyes, bowing their heads. And I just want to take a moment for people to be able to have, say that prayer. And if that is you that would like to say that prayer, I'd love it if you just want to raise your hand. It's just so I know who I'm praying for. There's nothing special about raising your hand. It's just so I know. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing your hand over there. Brilliant. Okay, I'm just going to um, pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I just want to admit that I have messed up, that I'm a sinner and that I get things wrong. I want to say this morning that I believe that Jesus' life, death and resurrection is enough. And this morning I'd like to commit my life to you and to follow you. I pray, Lord God, that you be with me this morning. Amen. Amen. If you uh, praise that prayer, um, I'd love to uh, speak to you at the end, or maybe you want to speak to uh, someone that you've come with. If you're watching online, we'd love to hear from you. If you want, Lord God, who feels like they are out of your reach, or feels like that you are not with them, Lord God, I pray right now that you would fill them with a sense of your peace. Lord God, may they know the truth this morning, Lord God, that you are with them and that you promise never to leave them nor forsake them. That you promise that you will keep watch over them, Lord God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you just pour your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that we'll just know your strength and your love with us. Yeah, Lord God, I just pray that even when it hurts, even when it's painful, 
Even when we can't have the words, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that we will know that you are with us, that we will know the truth, Lord God, that you do not abandon us, Lord God. Will we know the truth, Lord God, that no matter what we're going through, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God because of what your son Jesus has done on the cross for us. Lord God, thank you for the truth that we've heard this morning, Lord God, and we pray, Lord God, that you be with us in your name. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.